0: Grateful you're here. I've got to tell you, it's always kind of amazing and humbling to me that anyone actually signs up. I mean, you intentionally went online and signed up, and then you showed up. So I am just so grateful that you are all here and that you would do that. I hope you're still happy about it when you leave uh, today. And so welcome. If if this is your first time in a study that I, I teach, welcome. If you've been with me for years and years... and and some of you have. Welcome to you too. In fact, I was just realizing last night that these two beautiful women right here have known me for nearly 30 years. So yeah, so I'm just very grateful to have each of you here today. We are going to have fun learning from God's word this semester beginning with Galatians today and then after we finish that we'll move on to Philippians. And uh, so I'm happy to have, so happy to have all of you along for the ride. Before we begin and before I introduce myself to you, I'd, I'd just like to take a minute to pray. Because 11 years ago today, uh, I woke up and uh, needed to get some homeschooling done with my oldest and decided to turn on Barney for the two younger ones and woke up to a, a plane hitting the Twin Towers. And um, as the daughter of a career Air Force officer and as an American, and as a mother, I was scared. I was shocked. And I know you all know exactly where you were and what you were feeling. Um, and so I'd just like to, to pray for our nation uh, and uh, thank God for the men and women who risked their lives that day and continue to risk their lives so that we may be free. So let's pray. Father God, I, just, um, I thank you that we live in a country where we can gather like this and not be fearful and not be looking behind us to see who may be following and not be worried about who might be tapping our phones. Father, I thank you for the freedom to know you, to learn of you, to grow in you. Father, I thank you for um, our nation. I thank you for the men and women who lost their lives and risked their lives um, to thwart and to rescue uh, people from uh, a terrorist attack. And I pray for the men and women who continue to put their lives on the line so that we may be free. Father, protect them, guide them, and give our leaders tremendous wisdom um, that they might honor you in the decisions they make. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to do that. My name is Amy Kieser, and I'll be teaching you uh, live and in person all semester long. Uh, I just thought, I'd t- and some of you I know, this is really old, so I'm sorry, but uh, uh, I just thought I'd tell you a little bit about me before we get started. Uh, I'm married to not real truth, true joy. His name's Jeff, and he's really cute. There he is. <laughs> uh, I'm married to Jeff. We just celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary last month, which, of course, as you've all figured out, I got married at the age of 12. Uh, That's the only way that could possibly be that I've been married for 26 years. I am a blessed woman to uh, have the privilege of walking alongside this wonderful, godly, gentle servant leader of a man, and I am very grateful uh, to him. We have three children Hang on, oh, I just pushed it in. Okay. yeah, Okay. the little one is really cute, but she's my niece. The big hairy one, that one's my son. Uh, And uh, his name is Josh, and he is 22 years old. He just turned 22 last week, uh, and he's currently trying to figure out what to do with his life. Which, it's, it's really a good thing that he's 22, because he pretty much thinks he has life figured out. So that works out well for him. And then we have a daughter, Katie. That's Katie. Uh, She is uh, almost 17. She'll be 17 on Sunday. She's a junior at Bellevue West. She is and always has been a happy, outgoing child. We used to say that she um, woke up talking and fell asleep mid-sentence. We have no idea where she got that. Uh, And she loves to sing and dance. And I have to tell you, I am Grateful. This picture was taken last week. It's not her senior picture. Uh, This picture was taken last week. I am so grateful that she was able to have that picture taken. Because on July 10th, the car in which she was driving ended up looking like that. Uh, And it is a saga that continues and actually is not settled. Um, And our car was totaled. And she would want me to make sure you know, she was not at fault. Zero percent her fault, um, but Jeff and I still get to kiss this face goodnight every night, so we're okay, uh, and we're very grateful for her. And then our youngest is Lane. He turned 13 this summer, uh, and. He has started playing football, and he's anxious for basketball. He is 5'10", and I just bought him a pair of size 12 shoes. (laughs) His doctor tells us he's the height of the average 15-and-a-half-year-old, so uh, he is going to be tall, I think. He already is tall. But his really big news is for the first time in his life, he is going to school. Uh, He has been homeschooled. They were all homeschooled uh, at some point, but he is going to Cornerstone Christian School, which I think is a a perfect fit for him. So that means that after 16 years, I'm out of a job. (laughs) I'm no longer a homeschool mom, which is really weird, number one. And number two, it takes away my best joke, which is if I'm ever caught talking to myself, I can just say I'm having a parent-teacher conference. (laughs) So uh, he's, he's uh, excited to be there, and, um, and we're, we're happy that, that he's at such a, a wonderful school. Now, no uh, explanation of our family would be complete without the Wonder Sheepoo, Barkley, who uh, is adorable, and very he is. He's just the best dog. Actually, if you have anyone in Sparky's in Iwana, ask. They know about the Wonder Sheepoo because he's made several visits to, to our Iwana uh, to teach them. Now, just to tell you, and I'll, I'll take Barkley off of there because you'll just be looking at him thinking he's cute. So, um, Just to tell you a little bit about the study, uh, there, you're, you have your questions. There are five days' worth of questions each week. I think they'll take you 15 to 20 minutes a day. I hope they'll take you 15 to 20 minutes a day, and I hope the days will be fairly even. Sometimes that's hard to do, but uh, that's my intention. If you didn't do your questions, so if you get to uh, Monday night and go, uh-oh, please come anyway, and don't be embarrassed. I do do believe that you'll get more out of the study if you actually do the homework and then come to small group and then come to the lecture. But you'll get nothing out of it if you don't do the questions and you stay home. So please come anyway, participate, uh, enjoy uh, your time with the ladies and learn from God's word whether or not you've done uh, the study that week. There are three types of questions in your study. The first kind is just a regular question that has a number in front of it. The second t- kind of question is a thought-provoker question, which, as I always say, is a question that is designed to provoke thought. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they're they're tough. I mean, and, and so if you have to leave it blank, don't worry about that. And, and I'll be totally honest with you. Sometimes they stump me, and I wrote them. So, you know, it, it, it can happen. I mean, that's the whole point of those questions is really to make you think about what's um, what's going on in that passage. Uh, and then the third kind of Question is called a challenge question, and that'll say challenge in front of it. And that uh, is a question that you might have to go to some outside source to get the answer uh, to that question. And for example, and speaking of outside sources, uh, maps. You should have a couple of maps at the end of your study because I'm a retired social studies teacher, and uh, so I like maps. And and, uh, so uh, they're at the back of the study. We're going to use one of them today. And you may have, I don't even remember at this point because I wrote this earlier in the summer, but um, you may have a question or two that refers to those maps, so I wanted you to know where they are. Now, also every year, I want to make sure that you understand my approach to teaching the Bible. Uh, I am a simple gal. My husband might disagree with that, but I am a simple gal, and I have a simple approach to studying the Bible. When I go to God's Word, this is what I want to know. What does it say? What does it mean? And how can I apply it to my life? So um, did you all get study notes? Okay, just making sure. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. Uh, What does it say? What does it mean? And how can I apply it to my life? I believe there is a value in just knowing what God's Word says, even if we don't necessarily understand it. I work with the Sparkies on Wednesday nights. They're kindergarten, first, and second grade. I can tell you right now that a lot of them probably have no idea what they're saying. They don't really understand it. In fact, each of my children has memorized 2 Corinthians 521, which says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And they could say it. I don't think they could probably you know, exegete it, but they could say it. And, uh, but I think there's value in them just having that hidden in their hearts. That they know that verse, uh, even, if they, even if they don't know what it means. Now, I think it's far more valuable to know what those verses mean which is why sometimes i write greek words on the board why we talk about those meanings why we talk about a verse within its context and one of the things i'm really excited about with galatians and philippians is that you're going to read verses that you oh yeah i oh yeah i know that verse but you're going to read it and you're going to study it in the context that paul wrote it and that just brings whole fresh new meaning to it so but, but ultimately, the most important thing to me is that God's word would so penetrate our minds and our hearts that it would be lived out consistently in our lives. That is, is far more important than anything else. Amen? So I'm grateful um, that we have the opportunity to do that. Now, I have to tell you my qualifications to teach this class, and I always say you might want to write this down because these are pretty, yeah, pretty impressive. Uh, here are my qualifications to teach. I love God's word, and I love to teach. That's it. I have no letters behind my name. I have no advanced degree. I have no title other than wife and mommy. I love God's word, and I love to teach, and that's the only qualifications I have. Uh, and, And I just have to tell you that this, doing this, Excites me and if you don't realize that yet you will at some point, but this excites me this I just love this Which is why when I deci- when I found out I would be out of a job And I realized I needed to begin bringing in some sort of income instead of just spending the income in the family economy That I decided to become a, a substitute teacher because it gave me the flexibility to keep doing that The job that I don't get paid for drove the job that I will get paid for so uh, that my instead of getting a real job, I decided to substitute teach because I love doing this. I do have a bachelor's degree in social studies education and physical education from St. Olaf College, which may or may not be impressive to the, the school districts at which I'm uh, applying to sub, but it really has nothing to do with what I do here. It really is uh, not, not important to this. I love God's word and I love to teach, and that's it. So let's talk about Galatians a little bit. Uh, and introduce you to the book. When we finish Galatians, I'll do a a brief intro on Philippians. You did have some questions on it uh, in your book, but we'll save sort of the talking about that in class uh, until we get to it. So Galatians was written by Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, and that is not disputed, and that's a great thing because I didn't have to read 65 pages on why it is disputed whether Paul wrote Galatians or not. So, uh, And I would have ended up telling you that Paul wrote Galatians anyway, so those 65 pages are, are unnecessary. Uh, so Paul wrote Galatians, uh, and he sent it to the churches in Galatia, which is not a, is not a city. It's actually a... Um, a province, and you do have a map, and I'm sorry with the lighting, it's a little hard to see, but the province or the, the region is probably a better word uh, of Galatia, and uh, there are t- actually two parts, and this map doesn't show it, but northern Galatia and southern Galatia, so northern Galatia is to the north, and southern Galatia <laughs> <laughs> is to the south. The difference would be that that northern Galatia, which I assume, by the way, this is uh, what called, was called Asia Minor, what, what is now Turkey, if that's Do you see Cyprus down there and the Mediterranean. and So it's just a little bit of a close-up of that. So up where the mountains are in northern Galatia is, is essentially northern Galatia. And then southern Galatia, down where you see Lystra, Iconium, Derb, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, that's southern Galatia. Now, So the question becomes, because they were very distinct in, in, in Paul's time, did he write it to northern Galatia or southern Galatia. And uh, I'm not going to go through the 65 pages I read on this. But just to tell you that it makes more sense to me that he wrote this to southern Galatia. And here's the main reason why. On Paul's first missionary journey, he visited those churches. And in Galatians, he talks about those visits. And we read about those visits in Acts. There's nowhere in the New Testament where it talks about Paul going to northern Galatia. So that doesn't mean he didn't go there. It just means that it makes more sense that, that we know that he went to Southern Galatia and the timing of the writing and his visits and all that. Southern Galatia makes uh, far more sense uh, to have been the, the recipient of this letter. Northern Galatia, by the way, was settled by the Gauls. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you here for those of you who remember anything about uh, high school history, or Chelsea probably does. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago for her. Where did the Gauls settle? What country was once called Gaul? Oh, I'm getting blank looks. Oh, no. Nobody knows? Nobody knows? The Gauls eventually settled France and then Britain. And in fact, Galatia was originally called Galatia. Uh, So that's why I wrote that up there. Uh, You knew it, didn't you? You're just afraid to say, well, you know, in front of 50 people. Who wants to do that? Yeah. I I give you credit for it anyway. Um, But... Southern Galatia took on the name of its northern counterpart, even though the Gauls had not settled that, and it was a Roman province long before the time of Christ. Not long before, but since before the time of Christ, it had been a Roman province. And so there are a number of things. The roads were better. I mean, there are just a number of reasons why that would be where Paul would visit, and that would be where this letter was written, uh, or the, the group to which this letter was written. And and in fact, Paul was the founding father of of these churches in southern Galatia that this letter was sent to. Uh, He had had founded those churches on his first missionary uh, missionary journey. Now, when Galatians was written is a little bit more difficult question to answer, and it is all predicated on Paul's visits to Jerusalem, because both Acts, and in Galatians 1 and 2, Paul talks about the number of times he went to Jerusalem. And so we have to kind of piece together then which which, um, visit in Galatians corresponds to which visit in Acts. And the most important marker of a date on this is a visit to Jerusalem that, that came to be known as the Jerusalem Council. And it was around A.D. 50, maybe a little bit before And we'll go through these details as we walk through the first couple chapters of Galatians. So I don't want to talk too much about it now. But I will just tell you that it makes the most sense to me that Galatians was actually written before that council. Here's the number one reason. I'll tip tip my hand a little bit here. Uh, Here's the number one reason. The, The Council of Jerusalem was all about the question that's being talked about in Galatians. The whole point of the Council of Jerusalem was do Gentile Christians have to keep the Jewish law in order to be Christian. That's what what Galatians is all about, and it was settled. Well, if it was settled at the Council of Jerusalem, why then would Paul need to write the letter of Galatians? And why then would he still be talking about these people who claim that the fathers of Jerusalem agreed with him? Which James, Peter, John didn't agree with him, and the Council of Jerusalem made that plain. So so I, I would advocate for what they would call an early date somewhere between A.D. 47 and A.D. 49 for the writing of Galatians. But here's the deal. Any way you slice it, it doesn't matter whether he wrote it, well, it does matter, but whether he wrote it before the Council of Jerusalem or after, this book of Galatians is the earliest writing of Paul that we have, the earliest writing that has survived. So this is, this is Paul's, it, it probably wasn't his first letter, but this is his first letter for us. The, the first one that, that we have that, that has existed. Now I just told you a little bit about the situation in Galatia, but basically what happened was after Paul visited them and after he had left Galatia, some false teachers began infiltrating the church there, the churches of those cities there, uh, and, and they had begun to teach false doctrine. They have since come to be known as Judaizers. That's how they're referred to. Today, That isn't necessarily what they were called then, but they're referred to as Judaizers because they were essentially Jewish Christians who believed that anyone converting to Christianity had to keep the Jewish law in order to be saved, in order to be Christians. And and the real um, sort of cog in all this, the centerpiece, the crux of it, was circumcision, which I know sounds weird to our ears. Circumcision? Really? That was it? Yeah, that was it. And it, and it wasn't as a big deal in Judaism, and we'll go into that a little bit. But so, so if you were a Jewish, if you were a Gentile male and you were, you were converted to Christianity, in order, these people were saying in order to be saved, you had to be circumcised. You had to be circumcised. And uh, you had to keep the, the Jewish law and you had to keep the ritual washings and you had to keep the holy days and all those things. And, and another problem that came in the church is that Jews could not eat with Gentiles. So if I'm, if I'm a, a Jewish Christian and, and you're a Gentile Christian and you don't go through the ritual washings, I can't have fellowship with you. I can't eat with you. I can't uh, fellowship with you. And so this is a huge deal. Uh, and, and Paul's going to answer that very forcefully. Um, because, and, and here's how it happened. The initial converts to Christianity were almost exclusively Jewish. Not completely, but the vast majority, Jesus was Jewish. His, his disciples were Jewish. So the vast majority of the early converts to Christianity were Jewish. But as, the, as uh, the faith spread, as the word spread, as the gospel spread, more and more converts were coming from Gentile communities. And, and so then the question arises, they, They continued to be practicing Jews, just Jewish Christians. Did these new people then have to become practicing Jews in order to become Christians? The Judaizers' answer was, yeah. Yeah, they do. And so they essentially were teaching, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be a Jew first. You have to be a Jew also. And Paul's answer was a resounding no. In fact, he will emphatically and at times angrily argue that to require such things of people for salvation is to gut the gospel of its truth and make it, in his words, no gospel at all. Uh, and that's, that's the, core th- the core situation that was going on in Galatians. There are two primary themes. There are other sub-themes, but two primary themes of Galatians, and obviously the first one is salvation. What must I do to be saved? Uh, And the the theme, as Paul will tell us over and over again, is that salvation comes by faith alone, excuse me, by grace alone through faith alone. That's it. And he will pound that message home by grace alone through faith alone. And then the second theme is that Paul will defend his own apostleship. These Judaizers not only came in and said, you know what, your gospel is wrong. They said, and you have no authority to teach it. They, they attacked Paul's authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so he is in Galatians defending his authority from the very first verse, defending his authority. Um, and, and these people, the Judaizers, likely claimed, look, you weren't one of the 12. You didn't, you didn't know Jesus, you didn't walk with him. You weren't as, so. So where's your authority come from? So he's going to let him know um, that uh, his their authority came. His authority came from God. The Judaizers also probably claimed that the that the, the the apostles in Jerusalem, namely Peter and John and James, which is not the James of the twelve. This James is because he was martyred very early. This James is the half brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James in the New Testament. And, and so the, the Judaizers were saying, those, those pillars in Jerusalem, they, they don't agree with you. They agree with us. Well, they didn't. And Paul's going to prove that as well. He's going to speak to that as well. So the, so the second theme, along with the theme of salvation, is, is Paul's authority, Paul's true apostleship, uh, as one called by God. Now, just a little bit about the... the Um, the way Galatians is organized. Galatians is is, uh, is put into two unequal parts, unequal in length. The first section is from Galatians 1.1 to 5.12, and it is almost exclusively theology. This isn't unusual for for Paul's letters, that he has a a chunk of theology and then a chunk of application of that theology. Um, it's, It's usually more even than it is in Galatians, but but from 1.1 from to 5.12, it's almost exclusively theology. In fact, Dr. Terry Johnson calls it densely theological and among the most difficult portions of Scripture to interpret. Please don't get scared. Please, please just hang, hang with me. Please don't get scared. Uh, but it is. It's very theological. And it is in this portion of Galatians where Paul lays out his argument for salvation by grace alone through faith alone, and against the Judaizers' version of a gospel, which is no gospel at all, that you need to add something to faith. Um, And in fact, the name of this study, True Faith, no, Real Truth, True Joy. Uh, My sister came up with it, by the way, for those of you who know Missy. Uh, Real Faith, True Joy. The real truth part of that, that's Galatians. That's the core of Galatians, the truth of the gospel. Uh, and, and what that is. And then the true joy. A lot of Philippians is about the joy we have in Christ. So real faith, true joy. So don't be scared about the theology part. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, all Christians must be theologians. See, all theology is, is knowing what we believe and why. That's it. And all Christians should know what they believe and why. But Spurgeon goes on to say, and all theologians should practice What they believe, or all theologians must practice Christian living, and that's what Galatians is about. So the second part of Galatians, which runs from uh, Galatians 5:13 to 6:18, is practical, very, very practical application of the gospel in our lives. Uh, In fact, Johnson, again, Dr. Johnson says um, that this this portion of Scripture is among the most practical blocks of teaching to be found in the entire. Bible, and you're going to recognize a lot of these. Therefore, walk in the Spirit, I say, and not in the flesh. That's in the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's in Galatians. So Paul will talk about walking in the Spirit as as opposed to walking in the flesh. He'll talk about how, what? How do we deal with the balance, or not balance, but but the the relationship between grace and license? Because that was another argument that was laid against Paul. Well, if all we need is faith, then why why do, why can't we just live any way we want? So he's going to talk um, about that in, in that section as well. Um, and he's going to talk about bearing one another's burdens uh, and that the, the uh, principle that we reap what we sow. So all of those things will be found in that last uh, about chapter and a half of Galatians. Galatians uh, has had a tremendous impact uh, throughout the, the millennia on the people who have read it. In fact, Charles Wesley was converted. While reading Galatians, John Bunyan said it had a huge impact on his life and faith. This is what Johnson says about, Dr. Johnson says about, and I think Carta is misspelled here, but this is how it was spelled in the book. So I just want to make that, and, and Spellchecker thinks it's wrong too, but nonetheless, that's how Terry Johnson. Uh, spelled it, and and he's a PhD, and I'm not, so I'm going with him. Uh, Because of its vigorous defense of justification by faith and the Christian's freedom from the curse of the law, Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. In fact, Martin Luther credited his study of Galatians with being the impetus for him writing his 95 Theses. He said of Galatians, I am wedded to it he called it his Katie von Bora which was his wife's name I don't know how I' feel about that I'm not sure I mean it's good and yet but he did he called it his he, he called it his Katie von Bora, uh, von Bora so it's had a tremendous impact throughout um, the centuries on people so I just want to wrap up uh, today and we, we'll get out a little early today it's be the only day it'll happen but we'll get out a little early we'll get out a little early today uh, I just want to talk a little bit about this, this book, this wonderful book, this letter of Paul, um, because we can begin to read about circumcision and ritual washings and go, you know, I live in A.D. 2012, and like what does this have to do with my life today? And I promise you that Galatians has tremendous contemporary application to our lives because you see salvation comes by grace alone through Faith, or through faith alone, it comes only through faith in Christ. That's it. And nothing can or should be added to it. It's not faith and, and it really doesn't matter what you add as the and. It doesn't matter if it's baptism or church attendance or tithing, or any other thing, if you say that salvation is by faith and something else, Paul will tell you you have no gospel at all. Baptism is a great thing. In fact, we're commanded to do it. But if we say that salvation comes through faith and baptism, that's a bad thing. Church attendance is a wonderful thing. In fact, in Hebrews, it says do not give up meeting together as some in the habit are doing. It's a great thing. But if we say salvation comes through faith and church attendance, it becomes a bad thing. Tithing is a great thing. We're commanded to give generously. In fact, I think that that's actually a higher standard than the 10% in the Old Testament. Uh, But it's a great thing. But if we say we are saved by faith and tithing, it becomes a bad thing. It isn't just circumcision or ritual, ritual washings that we shouldn't add to salvation through um, by grace alone, through faith alone. It's anything. Now, you might say to me, you might object to that and say, you know what, Amy? If, if, if you're gonna go that route, if you're gonna say that, then can't people just live any way they want to? I mean. Are you saying that it doesn't matter how we live? It doesn't matter what we do? If we, have, if we just pray that prayer and walk that aisle and then just walk away and do whatever we want, that we're still saved? I want to tell you right now, Paul's going to answer that. <laughs> Trust me, Paul's going to answer that because that was actually one of the um, criticisms leveled against him in A.D. 48, that they said, whoa, 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 time out. Are you saying that there's no law, that there's nothing that we have to do? Uh, And so he's going to answer that. Here's the Reader's Digest version of that answer, though. If we have come to true faith in Christ, nobody can meet the living Christ for real and remain unchanged. It changes people's lives from the inside out. So if we have met the living Christ, we will be changed, and our behavior will change, and we will become people who not only don't want to sin, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us so that we, we have the power to, to defeat the temptation of sin. I am not saying we will not sin, because we will sin. However, we will also have been freed from the power of sin and death over our lives because, not of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us in his death and resurrection. That, ladies, is really good news. And in fact, that is the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you did not leave us to work this thing out on our own, to, do, to try and do and work to be as good as we can be, never knowing if we really are good enough, never knowing if we've done everything we need to do, Father, no, instead, you and your love for humanity and in your grace toward us said, you know what, you can't do it. And so I will do it for you through my son. And Father, we are so grateful for that. We are so grateful for your salvation that comes by your grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is your gift so that we cannot boast. We are so grateful, Father, May our lives reflect the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. I'll see you next week. It's good to be back.